Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic update from our in-house economics team. Good morning, Matthew, and happy Friday to you. Yes, hi, Craig. Uh, can't believe it's Friday. Well, here we are again. And for almost 30 years, Matthew, Australia has chalked up globally impressive runs on the economic growth board. But officially, as of this week, that's now been wiped clean as we recorded the deepest annual contraction since World War II and the greatest quarterly fall in our recorded history. Matthew, we've seen some very sobering headlines this week. Can you please take us through the facts? And were you surprised by the GDP data? Well, as you say, Craig, that 7% fall that we recorded in the June quarter um, is the largest since records began back in 1959. And in fact, prior to this latest number, the largest recorded fall in quarterly GDP was 2% um, back in the June quarter of uh, 1974. So we've certainly managed to smash that record uh, in the June quarter of this year. The size of the fall over the June quarter was largely anticipated by QIC in the market. Uh, We and the market had been expecting a fall of around 6%. So that's a little um, shy of the actual outcome, but really not materially different. The overwhelming driver of the drop in GDP was in fact the fall in consumer spending, which fell by an incredible 12%. And that accounts for almost the entirety of the fall in GDP. I think about 93% of the uh, fall in GDP. Of course, The extreme fall in consumer spending was induced by the need for the government to lock down Australia over April in order to control the spread of the coronavirus. This meant that we were unable to spend uh, on many items that we normally do, uh, particularly services such as restaurants, pubs, clubs, hotels, travel, gyms, you name it. And many of those sectors, in fact, uh, had falls in sales of, uh, of 90%. Other sectors of private sector spending, uh, including dwelling investment and business investment, also took a hit, but nothing like the size of consumer spending, with uh, total private sector investment uh, detracting about around about a percentage point from GDP. Now, those falls in in private sector spending, both uh, consumption spending and and investment spending, were partially offset by uh, a rise in government spending. Uh, and a rise in net exports, which contributed about one percentage point each to GDP um, over the over the period, but clearly nowhere near enough to um, overturn the uh, large hit from uh, consumer spending. So that analysis of the GDP data, Matthew, leads us to really start to think that the recession of 2020 is not one we necessarily had to have. For the past few months, we've been talking about how this time it's different from the GFC, both not only in terms of its scope, but also its swiftness. So the virtue that's a health crisis morphed into a financial and economic one is a true one. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the fact that June quarter drop in GDP was as a result of explicit government policies to fight COVID and were overwhelmingly supported by the bulk of the population is incredibly important in understanding the outturn. We chose to lock down economic activity, meaning that the hit to the economy wasn't forced on us by poor investment decisions like the 1980 mining boom collapse or in all the need, for example, 
to have high interest rates to choke off inflation, like in the 1970s, again in the 1980s, in our last recession of 1991. This means the economy can restart quickly, we begin to reopen, which outside Victoria is currently happening, with about 70% of the economy now reopened. And we are seeing the turnaround in consumer spending with July retail sales already 2% higher than their pre-COVID February levels, although, of course, this predates the imposition of Victoria's stage four lockdown. So we will probably see some pullback from that over August. We uh, have also seen an improvement in the labour market with total hours work recovering by around 4% to July. And prior to the second wave of infections in Victoria, business and consumer confidence estimates had recovered to around their pre-COVID levels. Yeah, very interesting, Matthew. So whilst the prints are quite alarming, what I find interesting in your response there is there's a real ability for the economy to rebound. So if we start to look forward now, what's your forecast for the coming quarter? Of course, noting your stage four lockdown mentioned before, but what are you expecting? Well, Craig, the good news is that we are not going to see anything like a repeat of what happened in the June quarter. But the bad news, as you alluded to, is that the lockdown in Victoria over August and September will likely offset the reopening of the economies elsewhere in Australia. And we think the Victorian economy will take a sizable hit in the September quarter of anywhere up to 9%. All up, uh, we think the fall in Victoria's growth will uh, just offset the increase in growth in the rest of Australia. A national GDP will fall for the third quarter in a row, but probably only by a marginal amount. Our current forecast is for a decline in GDP of uh, 0.2%. So that could easily turn out to be flat. Looking into the December quarter, if uh, Victoria is able to exit stage four lockdown restrictions and enter, say, into stage two, and the rest of Australia manages to keep COVID at bay, the turnaround in the economy should speed up. And we're forecasting a 1.7% increase in GDP for the last quarter of the year. Now, some commentators think that this is optimistic, given the government's intention to scale back the income support programs of JobKeeper and the JobKeeper supplement. But we're not so pessimistic. The reason is that the government's income support schemes over the June quarter have generated a spending war chest for households who, due to lack of opportunity to spend, over that period, uh, built their savings rates from 6% to 20%. And now this gives households plenty of spending firepower over coming months as our economies are reopening and will more than cushion the impact of a gradual weaning off the JobKeeper payments and the JobSeeker supplement over the December quarter and the March quarter of 2021. Government support also helped preserve company profits, and that should help businesses Uh, smooth the transition um, from lockdown to reopening. However, we should not underestimate the struggle we have ahead of us until a vaccine is found and distributed. The economy will not be able to reach full potential as long as COVID-19 is still a threat and social distancing restrictions, internal border closures and intermittent cluster outbreaks continue. Government fiscal support will be expanded, we think, in the October budget and the RBA will maintain its current policies in order to support growth. So while the June quarter GDP outturn will prove to be an outlier, path to full recovery is still another 
12 to 18 months in the future. Thanks, Matthew. I want to take you back just a little bit because you said there that some commentators think that uh, we're being a little optimistic. Um, and I want to put that in a global perspective because it's not just us, is it, Matthew? Can you put Australia's story into that global perspective of how the rest of the world is faring economically at the moment? And do we all have a shared future week of growth on our cards? Well, yes, Craig. I mean, I think we should be very proud of the way that we as a population and also of our policymakers, the way in which we've responded to the COVID onslaught. And as you suggest, this is reflected in the data. Among our G20 peers, our June quarter GDP outturn uh, was the fifth best. Um, We've only been beaten by China, Japan, South Korea and and Indonesia. If you compare us to uh, the major developed nations, uh, you have a look at what happened in the UK, down 20%, the Euro area down 12%, Canada down 10% and the US down 8%. So our fall of 7% in that context looks like a pretty fair effort. I think we do have a shared future in the struggle back to normality from COVID, both um, within the economy and socially. We now know that most countries cannot maintain or re-enter the severe economic lockdowns that occurred during the first waves of the virus. But we also know that it's impossible to fully reopen without inducing a second wave that threatens to be worse than the first wave. Unfortunately, what I think that means is it's becoming very clear that social distancing requirements and cluster outbreaks will be a feature of uh, the economic and social landscape until a vaccine is found and distributed. And until this time, the global economy and the Australian economy will not be operating at full capacity. Yeah, very interesting as well, that breakdown in those global GDP figures. When you look at the countries which sort of, you know, beat us, if I can use that language, China, Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, very uh, geographically uh, centred there versus the, the remainder of the world. And that really puts Australia's results into perspective. Following our GDP prints, I thought the Future Fund Chairman's Peter Costello's statement was very interesting. He said, the hard work is going to begin when this stimulus starts being withdrawn. It's going to be hard to get the economy growing again. The Future Fund went on to announce a 76% increase in their cash holdings to a whopping $28 billion because it believes government stimulus is not only masking the pain of a recession, but the proper asset valuation levels as well. So, Matthew, it leads to my question for you. What's your take on their perspective regarding asset valuation levels? Well, I'd agree with uh, Peter Costello that being able to support asset valuations is is going to critically depend on our ability to exit uh, the economy, to exit COVID, um, and any um, severe hiccups in that regard uh, is going to really test what probably look like stretch valuations at the moment. But in terms of the recent driver of valuations, I think that global monetary policy has been a far greater driver of uh, the, the rise in asset valuations that we've seen of recent times rather than Australian fiscal policy. Has that enormous injection of central bank liquidity boosted asset prices to unsustainable valuations? Well, time will tell. And I think it's going to depend partly on our the ability of economy to successfully exit COVID. And as we exit COVID, on the ability of central banks and governments to adjust policy settings so that we avoid a potential outbreak of high inflation as economies absorb excess capacity. Thanks, Matthew. And if I could take it back as a summary, those GDP prints, whilst they were marginally worse than expected, 
with that main culprit being a 12% drop in consumer spending, it was driven largely by our lockdown measures. So overall, our economy structure is reasonably healthy. So it's very plausible that a spring back effect could occur, particularly with those large levels of cash savings. However, of course, it's very reliant on that future lockdown measures and, of course, government spending. Thank you for joining us today on our economic update. Please look out for Monday's Market Moments Q-Pod and have a super weekend.